have to be after that last I love that song you know that some of you are probably not as uh, tech savvy as I am if you're breathing you probably are but uh, my iTunes account that song I think it's David Crowder who does that song if I'm not mistaken and I absolutely love it and uh, drives Mary crazy because we were in the car yesterday driving out to Walmart in Oakland because that's what you do when you're our age, you drive to Walmarts. So we're driving to the Walmart in Oakland, and I mentioned, an, or maybe she did, I can't remember, an Elvis Presley. We're talking about Elvis Presley uh, movies. I'm a huge Elvis Presley fan, but his movies stunk. They simply, Colonel Tom just used him, put him in movies to make money, with the exception of one movie. If you haven't seen Follow That Dream, it's worth watching to see Elvis Presley, maybe Jailhouse Rock, but Follow That Dream is a comedy, and he is tremendous in that, that movie. So we were just laughing about it, and I happened to have that song on my phone, on my iTunes account, so I asked Mary, I said, would you like me to sing it to you? <laughs> and uh, she begged me, whatever you do, do not sing that song. I said, okay. And unbeknownst to her, I had pulled it up, and so I just hit and had the king sing Follow That Dream to my wife as we're driving to Walmart, and then I, I chimed in a little bit just so she would know <laughs> that I got it, even though I don't got it. So you take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. How many of you know who Jeff Foxworthy is? If you're breathing, you probably know. Who Jeff Foxworthy is uh, just a tremendous comedian and he was actually attended a church where a dear friend of mine was on staff down in Georgia and anyway I, I like listening to him and, and um, he, he said one time you don't have to be a great writer to be a comedian all you have to do is watch people and man I took that to heart and I love watching people so and it drives Mary crazy because I'm one of those people that I, I, li I like to talk to strangers. I, I, my wife is very shy, and I'm the exact opposite. And I love to talk to people. I can meet them and just, and we, we were in that same Walmart a few months ago, and there was a, a lady ra rather short stature, and there was something on the top shelf, and you could see she was. So I just went over and did what? I said, here, do you, do you, would you like for me to reach that for you? And she said, yes. And I grabbed it and handed it to her. She's very, very thankful. Mary was like, don't talk to that person. No, I'm just, Mary, Mary didn't do that. So we're standing in the, in the vestibule in the Walmart in Oakland yesterday getting ready to go in. And when you go in, and, and so you grab a basket. And so I grab a basket, and I grab a disinfecting wipe right there, and I'm, I wipe off the basket for my dear wife. I set it aside, and I turn to get her, and this guy walks in and takes my basket. And I was so, I didn't do it because Mary grabbed my arm, but I was so tempted to say, hey man. So what I did was start a new ministry, basket disinfecting guy. So I just started pulling out baskets, wiping them off, and rolling them over to the people as they came in. While I'm singing, follow that dream. I love, I love watching people. I found my costume that I'm wearing this afternoon, tonight at Arlington and tomorrow night. 
uh, here at that Walmart in Oakland. So if you see me, you need to come see what I got on because we were just walking through the store, not doing anything, just walking from one side to the grocery side, and I saw this T-shirt, and it, it made me laugh so hard I sat down. <laughs> I told Mary, I have to have that T-shirt. She said, no, you're not buying that T-shirt. I said, well, won't you go check out? I'll be there in just a minute. And so she's over there putting stuff up, you know, to check out, and I just chunked my $7 T-shirt up there. And by, of course, at that point, she's not going to say, don't buy it, because that would embarrass her. See, when you've been married 50 years, you figure these things out. <laughs> the proper way to embarrass your wife as opposed to the improper way to embarrass your wife. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I want to share with you something that has really helped me and I think will encourage you. And I love what Marcus had to say today about hope. And I've said it many times over the years. My favorite word in the Bible to describe what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ is the word hope. Without question to me, that, that's the word. Obviously, being born again, the most significant. But on a, on a regular basis, on living your life, moment by moment and daily, that walk that Paul talks about, it's realizing and walking in the reality of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. The word in Greek means confident expectation, not a blind leap in the dark, not sliding off a building and hoping that you make it. It's I'm confident of my future. Why? Because it's not about me. It's about the person of Jesus Christ and what he accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection. And by my coming to him in repentance and faith, I'm set free. And I know my future. It's secure in him. So, so justification being born again is exciting for us. Think about these shoe boxes and how cool it is. And you see Franklin Graham up there and Edward Graham. And you see the heritage of Billy Graham. And, and the fact that we could be part of these boxes going all over the world. And you don't know how it's going to touch that individual child's life or in his family. But we get to be part of that. Just a simple thing of sending a little hope. We get to be part of the hope. For example, Solid Rock with Ron Seisman and Trans World Radio. I was watching an old movie last night. I don't even know what it was. It was not good, but I watched it for a few minutes in, but while it was a commercial during the uh, Tennessee football game. And it's breaking my heart that they're as good as they are, but they're probably the best team in the country. Anyway, I'm watching it, and so I flip, flip over to this movie. And in the background of this movie, there's these two guys walking through uh, downtown, I, I, don't, I don't know exactly, I'm thinking it may be Orlando, but it was a long time ago, like in the 70s. And in the background, there's this building. And on the building, it says Trans World Radio. <laughs> I had no idea. And it reminded me of, of Gary and Winnie. Of course, I get this thing every weekend to pray for them. And it reminded me, stop for a second and pray for Gary and Winnie. And Trans World Radio. We get to be part of what they're doing all over the world in sharing the gospel. Things locally, like eternal bread, simply loving someone in the name of Jesus Christ. We get to be part of that, on and on. Because we have hope. We know what it means. We're in Christ. We're set free from the penalty of sin. Jesus took our penalty. Ultimately, when we die, glorification, we'll be set free from the very presence of sin. We go to a place where there's no curse. That means there's no sin. No sorrow, no death, no pain, on and on. No curse, no sin. But right now, 
as we live by a show of hands. And I will raise mine first because I'm very guilty. It happens to me regularly. How many of you ever get discouraged? All right, we have some perfect people in the room. That's good. We, we do. We get discouraged. And that's when I love to go to different passages in the Word of God to be reminded of what I have in Christ. What is my current possession as a believer in Jesus Christ, a Christ follower, a Christian, a child of God, one who is born again, a joint heir with Christ? There's so many different labels in Scripture to describe what it means to be a Christian. That, that, that my, what is my current possession? So you get to 2 Corinthians 4, and we're going to quickly go through this. One of the things that's most encouraging to me as a believer, and I'm going to hopefully you'll see that today as well, is when I'm discouraged, I need to step back in my prayer life. And this is really what I think the Bible means by meditating on Scripture. What is it that God wants to say to my heart in that moment? You don't have to necessarily be deeply studying that particular passage. It may be something you've read a million times. For example, how many of you know what John 3.16 says? We all do. For God so loved the world that he did what? Gave his only begotten son, which means the unique one in the universe that we could have what as a result? Everlasting life. You ever stop and meditate on things like that? One of the best ways to understand that in my mind is this. If John 3.16 is the only thing, only thing that God ever did for Randy Lockley, what should be my attitude toward God? Thank you. Worship, adoration, complete devotion. Romans 12, 1. Here I am, Lord, living sacrifice. What did he give me in when he, when he gave that great indescribable gift that we're going to look at in a moment? When he gave Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection, paid my sin debt, took my hell, took the wrath of God that I deserve, he took it for me, and then said, here, you can be forgiven, you can be set free, you can have eternal life, you can be at peace with God, you can have the peace of God, all, all the incredible things you see in scripture, it's cool and it's important for us as believers to stop and meditate on those things. So one of the passages I love to go to is this one, 2 Corinthians 4. Because here's what Paul is saying to the church at Corinth, which had all kinds of problems. Uh, immature, uh, fleshly, uh, incest. Uh, they they weren't, weren't a great shining example of the light of Jesus Christ in a local church. When we get discouraged as individuals, we get discouraged as leaders of your church, we get discouraged sometimes as groups. Now you look around the world, that, that evil one man, Vladimir Putin, as evil as he is, he's crazy enough to drop a nuclear bomb. And then where are we? My hopes of Jesus Christ is he's greater than anything I face or my world faces. Greater is he who's in me, Holy Spirit, than he who's within the world. Satan, we'll look at in just a moment. So, when I'm discouraged, 
I love this passage because here's the focus. The theme of this passage is, look at verse 1, chapter 4, 2 Corinthians. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. Look down to verse 16. Knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus, will present us with him for all things for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we what? Do not lose heart. Don't get discouraged. Then when it comes, you come back to God's word is either true or it isn't. For us as believers, we believe this to be the eternal truth of God and that it is our manual for living life in a discouraging world. In a world that's desperate for hope. Which, by the way, we already understand because we have received mercy. So because we have, you'll notice the top of your handout, I want us for a few moments to look at what we have. So we don't lose heart. So we don't quit. So we are encouraged. So we have confidence because of what we have. Number one on your handout, what we have. What do we as believers in Jesus Christ have that keeps us from being discouraged? From, from, from giving up, losing hope, and persevering through what we're facing to glorify God and point people to Jesus Christ. Number one, verse one, we have this ministry. Since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. We don't get discouraged, verse one. And whether you understand this or not, and I think you do because you're a very smart group of people, every believer is in ministry. Every believer is a priest, according to the New Testament. We all represent God, every single one of us. Not just those of us that are on staff of the church or have a title. No. If you are a believer, you're a saint of God, a child of God, and as Paul writes, writes to the same church in the same book, you are an ambassador for Jesus Christ, as though, quote, as though God were pleading through us, be reconciled to God. That's our ministry. The highest call any human being can have on his or her life is for God to pluck you and say, you're mine, now go share the gospel. That's our ministry. And every single one of us has it. Now, not everybody can be a disinfectant basket wiping guy. I understand that. My wife was not going to do that yesterday. I don't mind doing it. Not everybody has the same spiritual gifts. And by the way, that's the way God intended it. He said so. So that they work together as one body, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, all to accomplish the same thing, to glorify God. We don't get discouraged. Theme of this whole chapter, this section of 2 Corinthians. Look at verse 1 again. As we have received mercy. We've been saved. We understand mercy. Look back for a moment in chapter 3. Same book, verse 2. Chapter 3, verse 2. Paul's writing to these believers at Corinth. Again, very immature, very fleshly, very weak in their faith. Verse 2. You're our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, 
We don't have tablets of flesh. That is of the heart. As we have such trust through Christ toward our God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. Now, verse 6. Who made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, the spirit gives life. We've received mercy. We understand mercy. And God says, share it. Live it. Let people understand what it means that you have received mercy from God, which is available to them as well. See, grace and mercy are just two sides of the same coin. Grace is what God, John 3, 16, he gives you something you don't deserve. Mercy is he gave it to Jesus instead of, he gave the wrath to Jesus instead of you. Mercy is him not giving you what you do deserve as a sinner. The wrath of God, he gave it to Jesus. Grace is he offers it to you. And I'm telling you, every single person walking this planet wants hope. They do. But we've received mercy, and we're not discouraged. Secondly, verse 2. So people can find from believers who are in ministry, they can find no deceit. Look at verse 2. We've renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness or handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. That even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age, Satan, has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. This is so important. People should be able to come to genuine believers. We're all in ministry and hear the truth of the word of God with no deceit. Unfortunately, in our culture, particularly in the United States, but it's not just here, it's worldwide, but particularly here, there are many people standing behind pulpits just like this one all over the world right now and deceitfully handling the word of God. And that's why it is vital why I love being on staff of, of this church. I know that the word of God is not handled deceitfully. Look at the phrases that he uses there in verse 2. We've renounced these things that lead to shame. We're not walking in craftiness. We're not handling the word of God deceitfully. It's a manifestation of the truth. Speaking the truth in love. No delusion. It's not about me. So many false teachers, if you watch them closely, ultimately it comes down to me, what I can do for you. What I can guarantee to give you. They take the place of Jesus Christ. One of them, I won't mention him by name, one of them, and I actually saw him say it in person, said, we are God. Be careful what do you mean by that. How many gods are there? One God. Now, we are in Christ, and we are to represent Christ. The phrase literally means little Christ, but it does not mean I'm deity. We're all in ministry. We want to speak the truth into people's lives. Paul talks about it so much. 
that in the last days, people are going to heap up teachers to themselves and have itching ears. Why? Because they tell them what they want to hear. How many of you don't want, how many of you would like to have more money than you currently have? Of course, you would. How many of you would like to know I'm never going to be sick again? God, that would be my prayer after the year I've gone through. I don't want to ever be, feel like that again. There are preachers telling you that you can have that. Speak to your wallet. Tell it it's full of money. And if you believe it, it'll be what? I tried that. You know what I came up with? Pictures of my grandkids. Which is worth more than money. You don't tell God what to do. But people who are desperate, they're seeking that. And then when it doesn't come true for them, who do they blame? God or themselves, usually God, for not coming through. Or me not, for not having enough faith. It's important we're not discouraged, but it's so important that people can know when they talk to us, we're not going to be lied to, we're not going to be tricked, there are no games going on, it's simply the truth. That's why a church, and obviously we're not the only one, that's why a church like Christ Church is so important, because we speak the truth in love. And by the way, sometimes people don't want to hear the truth. Do you realize that? If you have kids, you know that. Sometimes they don't want to hear the truth. I was using this example the other night. We have a little eight-month-old granddaughter who's learning how to crawl. And what she does is kind of like a snake. And so she was in our, our big room. We put her on the floor. And Mary was in the kitchen. I'm, and I'm supposed to be watching her. That was Mary's first mistake. You, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go over here and make me a sandwich. Can you watch her till I get back? Yeah, I got it. Well, I had it. I'm just not quite as quick as I used to be. And little Nora's down on the floor playing, and she starts doing it. And I'm thinking it's funny doing a thing. I turn, turn, and she had, all, she had gotten all the way across the room. And the next, whatever you call it, I call it crawling. They call it something else. But the, the next lunge, she was going to jam her head right into piece of furniture and Mary was going to come beat me with a pan for not watching her now when, what's the one thing I want to do for Nora in that moment she's having a blast snaking across the room and chewing on the, well she wants for some reason she likes dark colors and she wants to chew on that piece of brown furniture she was headed to it now because I love her what's the one thing I want to do in that moment I got to stop her I'm no Nora no so she, she it starts the lunge. And by then, Mary was in the room, and she grabbed her because I couldn't get over there fast enough. Now, did she like the fact that I'm yelling, Nora, no, stop? Of course not. But sometimes you have to speak truth into somebody's life. They don't want to hear. But if it's done in love, it's important, and it's vital. That's who we are. And in verse 5, there's no darkness with us. Verse 5, we do not preach ourselves, but Christ the Lord. Ourselves, your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it's the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
verses 3 and 4, he talked about that veil, that satanic veil, and then, you know, self, going all the way back to the Garden of Eden, that pride about me, it's about me, it's about me. Even have churches now, that that's what they're preaching. It's the gospel of self. And it's veiled because I want what I want. And then you notice in verse 5 and 6, it's, we're not preaching about ourselves, Paul says. I, what he's, one of the things he's saying here is, we've received mercy. Paul can't save you. But I can share with you what happens to someone who is saved. Because I've received mercy. That's our ministry. Randy's not saving anybody. and You're not saving anybody. But you sure have a testimony if you're born again. You've received mercy. And to share with someone what mercy has done in your life. And what it can do in his or her life. The context here is these false teachers can't do that. They're not sharing truth. They're about deceit. And there's no darkness with us. Think about it this way. Again, meditating on scripture is so important. The God over the entire universe who owns it, who spoke it into existence, says to you that you can share with other people as you're sharing the gospel. God says to you, I spoke the universe into existence. Stuff we don't even, we haven't even scratched the surface of what our universe is about. God spoke it into existence. And he said, the most important thing I made in my entire creative act was you. You. I love you that much. You're the only thing I created in my image. You. And not only did I love you and create you in my image, I became one of you to die for you. That's hope. That's what people are looking for. We're in the ministry. We have ministry. He created light. Look there again for just a second at verse 6. The God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, he spoke light into existence. Let there be light. He's shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Our ministry is to point people to God because we have the light within us of Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world. I love the way John the Baptist put it. He said, I, I am not the light. I came to bear witness of the light. And the picture is this in that original language. It's like a lamp. John the Baptist was saying, I'm the lamp. What's important? If you have a lamp and you don't turn it on, what is it? Just something that looks good. A lamp is productive when you turn it on and the light within it shines. That's what it means to be a believer. You're a lamp. And then that light needs to shine for you to be what a lamp should be. That's what John the Baptist was saying. Secondly, there on your handout, what do we have to meditate on Scripture? We've got this ministry, and then we've got this treasure. Look at verse 7. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Again, context, not about me, it's always about God and other people. We are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. Discouragement, again. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Always, in the midst of all these horrible things, carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, 
that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. We all know this. But it helps to be reminded. To go back to the word of God and focus on this. We have this treasure, verse 7. The idea of carrying around the gospel. As you go into all the world, make learner followers of me, teaching them, Jesus said, what I taught you, and I'll be with you always. Yes, you're going to have difficult moments. You're going to be perplexed and discouraged and all those things. I love this picture here in verse 7. I'm going to sit here for a moment, and then we're going to move quickly through the rest. We have this treasure of the good news of Jesus Christ, this gospel, in earthen vessels. The little phrase earthen vessel in the original language means a jar of clay or a common pot that was used to dispose of garbage. When I was growing up, we'd go visit my grandmother in Riggin, Tennessee, and they did not have indoor plumbing. They had an outhouse with, with wasps the size of baseballs. I was afraid to go to the bathroom. And they had a chain, we had chamber pots. At an outhouse, root cellar, and in the kitchen, I still remember my grandmother cooking and you know, I'm over here shelling peas and stuff like she told me to do. I'm doing whatever she told me to do. And she's cooking in the corner of her uh, kitchen, just had this big pot. They called it the slop bucket. And that's just, they didn't have any garbage disposal. They threw everything in the slop bucket and then they gave that to the pigs. Guess who got to do that? I love my grandmother, but I didn't necessarily like hanging out at the farm part of it. Particularly the one day I had to pick cotton. Slop bucket, that's what they called it. That's the picture here. Now notice what he's saying in this analogy. It's beautiful. It's not the bucket that's important. It's what? What it can do. God made us to hold something. Now, this is a common pot. In other words, we're just a vessel through which God wants to give people, not garbage, even though that's what it was carried in, something that they need. The pot itself is not what's important. God has chosen us in our basic, common humanity to reveal himself. Look at verse 7 again. That the excellence of the power may be of God and not of whom? Us. Here's what I want you to notice. God's saying, People need to see you're just an ordinary person like they are. And then when God is doing these incredible things in your life, what will they say? Well, that can't be Randy. I know him. He, I know he talks about Jesus all the time. And I've had this very experience with my older brother, who I witnessed to for years. And I remember when my mom and dad, both when I did their funerals and my brothers came, my younger brother never got it. Both, neither one of my brothers are, are, are Christians. But my older brother, a lot of people from the church came to, to, to uh, those funerals. They didn't know one per, probably 100 people came to my um, mom's funeral from the church. How many of my family members and people at that funeral did they know? Zero. Who did they know? They knew me. And my brother said, who are all these people? And I said, that's the family of God from my church. And then we're at my dad's funeral. And after my dad's funeral, he finally came up to me and said, I know we don't agree on this Jesus thing, but I sure can see what it's done in your life. That's the idea. 
vessel. Letting it shine. Focus is on the treasure that we have in us, not on us. And I really think that maybe what's going on here is Paul, as he's writing this, is thinking about the story of Gideon. I love that story. We're not going to go back and do the whole thing. But if you remember in the story, Gideon was not a well-known. He was somebody very inferior, not a, not a tribe that everybody talked about. He was one of the judges that delivers. God raised him up. And the Midians were, the Midianites were surrounding them and or, or about to attack them. And so he raises Gideon up to deliver. And he has 32,000 men to go fight. And God says, do what? Well, let's trim that number down a little bit, Gideon. They cut it down and cut it down and cut it down. And he ended up with how many people? 300 to fight this host of Midianites. God said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take these clay pots and put candles in them. And then I want you at night to encircle the Midianites, their camp, encircle them. And when the trumpet blows, you have everybody bust their pots and let the light shine. And they did that, and the Midianites freaked out and killed each other. They let the light from the pot work. You're born again, you have the light of God. The light of the world indwells you. People need to see it. We're not crushed. We're not in despair. We're not forsaken. And we're not destroyed. We have hope. Verse 10. The life of Jesus. Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Says it two times, two different ways. So then, so then death is working in us, but life in you. It's all about who Jesus Christ is, what he's doing in us. So finally, point three on your handout. What else do we have? We have the same faith, verse 13, same spirit of faith. Since we have, there it is again, that little phrase, the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you, the gift of God. We're declaring by faith that God is at work in us because he is. We trust him. So important. We trust God even though in the moment we don't understand. You think Gideon understood what God was doing? No. Example, you think Abraham knew, understood what God was doing when he took Isaac up on the mountain that he waited years for? God said, this is the one. And Abraham, he said, now Abraham, go on the mountain and slit his throat. Ultimately, we see that he did. He believed God. And by his faith, said, I'm going to kill him, and God's going to raise him from the dead because God's not a liar. The same spirit of faith. We have the gift, the life of Jesus. We are we, corporate, plural pronoun. That's why the body of Christ is so significant and the local church is significant. We love each other. And what did Jesus say? How will they know you're my disciple? Because you love each other. You love each other in a real way. Sacrificial, unconditional, 
concept. We are, as Paul said earlier in this passage, we are each other's bondservants. We're all in the ministry. All the things we face. And then look at verse 16. We do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing physically, wearing out, the inward man is renewed day by day, spiritually. For our, our light affliction, I love that, it's, all, it's humorous to me that Paul, everything he's just written and all that he went through, what's he call it? Light affliction? Hey, our light affliction, it's but for a moment, eternal perspective. It's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. We don't look for the things which are seen, what's around us. We don't focus on that, the circumstances. But we look at the things which are not seen, spiritual, for the things which are seen are temporary, earthly, but the things which are not are eternal. We don't lose hope because of what we have. If you bow your heads, please, ask the worship team to come back up. Father, as we close out our time together, we think about hope and we get discouraged we get down and we get attacked and all those things are going to happen because Satan is going to attack and our flesh is going to be uh, pointing us in the wrong direction but we don't let circumstances eat us up we focus on the life that's in us the person of Jesus Christ individually and corporately as a local church to shine forth that truth, that treasure that's within us so the world can see there's something different there. There's something that I need. Even thinking about in this building, this, this parking lot, tomorrow night, so many bodies coming through, many, if not most, of whom don't know Jesus Christ. It's just a chance for us to love on them, a help group, just to be kind to people. You never know when God, you're going to use that. So thank you, Father. I pray we would be focused on the light within us. And because of what we have, we would not be discouraged. We would not lose heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand.